0: Welcome to the Alex Kennedy podcast brought to you by basketballnews.com. This is episode number 47. We're back to doing two episodes per week, so make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss any new episodes. Today, I'm joined by one of my basketballnews.com colleagues. He is a writer. He is a podcast host. His podcast, Nothing But Bets, breaks down NBA betting trends, spreads, props, and more. My guest is
1: Evan Sidery. Evan, thanks for joining me. How are you? Alex, the long-awaited guest appearance I've been waiting for for a very long time to come on the Alex Kennedy show. This is an honor. I appreciate. It. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. You know, I've been on your podcast, uh, so we've had somewhat you know a similar conversation,
0: but figured it'd be good to have you on this one. Uh, I want to start by talking about some some recent odds that came out. Um, you know, we have some futures odds, uh, some awards odds. So I want to kind of go through those a little bit. Then we'll talk a little bit about Kevin Durant, Donovan Mitchell, the Phoenix Suns. We'll, we'll kind of jump around a little bit, but. I want to start with some of the uh, the recent championship odds that were posted uh, for next season. Boston is a favorite right now, plus 450. After that, you have the Clippers and Warriors at plus 600. Uh, then you have Milwaukee and Phoenix. Uh, I'm curious, when you look at these championship odds, what kind of jumps out of you? Uh, is there a dark horse that catches your eye? And what are your thoughts on kind of the, the front runners right now?
1: Yeah, we can kind of start off here, Alex, at the top of the board here. Like like you mentioned, Boston is a favorite at plus 450. And then right behind them, the Clippers at plus 600 and the Warriors at plus 600 as well. What's interesting, just following these betting lines really almost daily nowadays with the podcast, is that the Celtics were kind of right on the same tier as the Clippers and the Warriors. And then with the Kevin Durant rumors, Alex, the Celtics actually bumped up a little bit more than they used to be. So... They were around plus 550. Now the Kevin Durant rumor, they're at the plus 450. So that's what's so interesting about the Vegas odds. They always try to get against against everyone else like try to get the best bet possible because now with them potentially being at favorite for Kevin Durant, the odds have moved for them for a championship favorite as well. I, I want to hear your thoughts
0: on that whole situation and whether Boston should you know make that move. There's talk about you know Jalen Brown. And does it doesn't make sense to break up this core, to go after KD. You wrote an article about that whole situation for basketballnews.com. Where do you currently stand? If you're Boston, are you pulling the trigger
1: on that deal? Personally, I, I was very tough like writing through our article and thinking about it just because Jalen Brown is just now entering the prime of his career, Alex. He's proven over the last couple of years a 25 point per game score as a number two option, an improving defender, an improving facilitator, and improving shooter as well. I think he's a 3 tool player at the most important position in basketball nowadays, which is a three and D wing. And he's much more than just a three and D player. So you see his numbers the last couple of years, 24 points per game, six rebounds, three and a half assists. You add in his efficiency, is very good as well. I think he could really thrive as a number one option elsewhere. But for the Celtics, this is why I wrote my story. It's When you're a team like Boston, when you're a team like the Lakers, these kind of big market teams like Miami, you should always operate, in my opinion, as a win-now type of team. I know maybe long-term, losing Jalen Brown would hurt maybe five, six years down the road. But over the next three or four years, Alex, the, the more I thought about it, just pairing Kevin Durant with Jason Tatum and still a loaded core, even if you trade away Marcus Smart in the same deal as well. Like this is an eight or nine man deep roster, even without those two guys. So I think this is a a deal where Boston is weighing their calculations on both sides. But in the end, I wrote that I think the Celtics should, should do it, quite honestly. I, I think you put yourself in a tier. Above everyone else in the Eastern Conference, it's an already loaded conference, in my opinion. But now you add Kevin Durant on top of the team just went to the NBA Finals last year. You added in Malcolm Brogdon. You added in Danilo Gallinari as well. This is a team that, I think, is very well structured, even to lose a player like Jalen Brown, for the price of Kevin Durant. Like many have said all throughout the NBA, Alex, a player like Kevin Durant is going to cost you. A player like Kevin Durant, I think, is worth that price.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've seen them be aggressive this offseason. You mentioned, you know, the different moves they've made. I like what they've done. I think Brad Stevens has done a fantastic job since he kind of took this new position, uh, moving from coach to front office. So he's been terrific. Uh This is a tough one, though. I kind of see both sides of it. You know, I do think that Boston would have the best offer on the table if they if they make Jalen Brown available. I think we were all kind of waiting for that team that was willing to budge because it was, okay, will Toronto include, you know, Scotty Barnes, uh, Pasco Siakam, uh, you know, would Phoenix give up all of their assets? Uh, You know, is there a surprise team out there that would part with a player we're not thinking of? I think we are all kind of waiting to see who would, you know, come to the table with that increased offer. And if it's Boston with Jalen Brown, I think the teams are going to have a really hard time meeting that offer. And I, I get it, you know, the thought is, okay, can we win, you know, one or two championships in the next few years, you know, during KD's prime? uh, It's tough because Brown is 25 years old and you mentioned just such a talented player we've kind of moved past the days of everyone saying, Oh, you need to break up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. It's it's funny that that was even a conversation in recent years, but it it was a a prominent conversation. And now people realize, okay, these guys can work together. And if anything, it's, it's great in today's NBA to have two guys like that, uh, that are really talented wings that can kind of play together. Uh, but yeah, it is a tough decision. Do you think that if, if they do make
1: Jalen Brown available, is that the best offer on the table for Brooklyn? I think so. and, I also thought this through from my exercise on the story on basketballnews.com. If you haven't checked that out, go ahead and do so like you mentioned earlier, Alex. But with, with this angle with Boston now, I never thought they would actually be a contender for Kevin Durant because their team is already so loaded to the point where they can go nine or 10 players deep and I think confidently run it back where you're probably a top three seed in the Eastern Conference next year, if all goes worst case scenario, maybe a top five, top six seed at worst in my opinion. So I, I love the idea of just running it back with this Boston team, but it's hard for me to envision any team out there being a Jalen Brown type of player. Because from the beginning, Adrian the Sham Sharania, those insiders mentioning that the Nets have wanted a young superstar type player, a strong role player, and picks. And I think Boston can offer the best possible player of any team out there, which is Jalen Brown. And the only two teams I could think of that could potentially trump an offer like that, Alex, is the Oklahoma City Thunder with all their picks and Shea Gillis-Alexander, and they're not going to do that. And then maybe the New Orleans Pelicans with Brandon Ingram all their picks they have from future past or from past trade as well. So those are the only two teams I could think of. But those teams are not really in the same win down type of window that Boston is. So I, I really think that when you compare Jalen Brown more so to, let's say, McHale Burrs and Cam Johnson, I don't think it's a, a, even a close competition if you're the Nets perspective. I know trade with a rival could be a tough pill to swallow there. But I think putting Jalen Brown next to Ben Simmons, that's a team that could be a legit playoff team as early as next year.
0: Yeah, I think the only team that can really compete with that offer is the Raptors if they're willing to include, you know, multiple assets. But it sounds like they don't want to include Scotty Barnes. Uh Pascal Siakam is obviously a fantastic player, but you know, we haven't seen his name pop up in these talks just yet. So while I think a team like the Raptors could beat that offer from Boston, I don't think they would. So I think if you're talking about just the re- realistic offers that are out there, the Celtics probably have the best package, which is crazy because a week ago we weren't talking about Boston at all. We were talking about Phoenix, Toronto, New Orleans, you know, these other teams. Steph Curry's record-breaking three-pointer, Jason Tatum's buzzer-beating alley-oop, John Morant's poster dunk, NBA Top Shot is where the greatest moments from NBA history are turned into officially licensed digital collectibles. NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards and made it easier to buy, sell, and collect by removing the hassle of grading, shoeboxes, and shipping fees. You can buy or sell moments in a few clicks and access them at any time on your phone or computer. Your collection is always at your fingertips. Start collecting Top Shot moments in any way you want. Collect rookie moments from future stars like like Evan Mobley and Cade Cunningham, collect throwback moments from former NBA stars like Shaq and Allen Iverson, or collect moments from your favorite team to gain access to exclusive perks. Grab your starter pack today and Top Shot will give you $20 back to start your collection and pick up some of your favorite moments in the marketplace. Go to about.nbatopshot.com bballnews and get in the game today. That's about.nbatopshot.com slash bballnews. I do want to ask you a question about the odds because there are times when Vegas uh, and the odds makers are just spot on. I mean, we saw it with Paolo Bencaro before the NBA draft. All of a sudden, Paolo's number one. Everyone's kind of freaking out, wondering what do they know that we don't. Even Woj the morning of the draft was saying that Jabari Smith was still the number one uh, projected pick. Nothing had changed. Basically, you know, shooting down what the odds makers had put out there. And then as we all know, Paolo goes number one. So there's definitely times when we've seen the odds are 100% right and they kind of lead us in the direction of where things are headed. But there's been plenty of times uh, where, whether, even just looking at this Kevin Durant sweepstakes, there's times where Phoenix is number one and then drop off and then Boston shoots up to the lead and then Toronto shoots up to the lead. Like, then Brooklyn, he's going to stay in Brooklyn. It just feels like it's kind of all over the place and I've seen that a number of times now. DeAndre Ayton's odds were the same way. You know, how do you kind of judge whenever you see odds kind of flying all over the place and, How predictive is Vegas typically when it comes to these odds?
1: Yeah, it's really an interesting thought that I think now we're seeing more and more with the NBA draft this year, kind of Vegas kind of breaking into the more mainstream national media. Because for years now, I've just been noticing these trends with Vegas where a day or two beforehand, just to bring like a football example, I know we're both football fans, Alex, but way back when, when I think Jim Harbaugh, there was like a prop out there when he was the 49ers head coach and he was fair to be the Michigan head coach, Vegas moved their odds way over to Jim Harbaugh like two or three days beforehand. And then it was announced 48 hours there. He was eventually hired as Michigan's head coach. So that was a huge domino to drop there. But those, those are the kind of examples just like the NBA draft where those breadcrumbs are dropped You just have to fall exactly where they are. And I, I've told this to many people before, but I think the Vegas insiders, I don't know. I, I want to dive more into this personally and maybe write a story down the road on this. But like, th- there's too much money on the line, in my opinion for sports books, for Las Vegas, all these people out there to not at least have some sort of intel from somewhere in some organization of what's going on, some sort of whisper they hear. I think that's what really dictates a lot of it. But also a lot of it is due to just the overall money flow into a certain bet. Because yeah. one one that, that really is a recent example was the Toronto Raptors with the Kevin Durant situation, like you mentioned, Alex, because they were, I believe, plus 2,000. And then when we've heard about the rumor of them being interested they shot up all the way to plus 200 at one point. They've dropped all the way back da- down at a plus 800, I believe. But I, when I was looking at that, that, that's a good example of really people betting up a number and then eventually it falls back down. So you kind of have to read between the lines to see what's true, what's not. But more often than not, I'd say around a 60, 70% hit rate I've noticed the last year or so, really covering it daily, where Vegas usually has some sort of trend on whether you get it right or not.
0: Well, and one thing I'll, I'll mention too, and this is one of the first things that I learned when I started being around the NBA and talking to people in front offices and kind of following rumors. A lot of these situations are, are so fluid too. Like, you know, uh, the Kevin Durant situation, DeAndre Ayton situation, the two ones I mentioned, you know, things change throughout the whole process. At one point, it looks like one team is going to be a front runner and then a team comes out of nowhere. And teams are always talking and offers are changing. And that's why I always think it's funny whenever there's a report like, oh, these teams talked a week ago. It's like, well, yeah, teams are pretty much always talking. And throwing ideas out there, and uh, like I guarantee you, right now Brooklyn knows what you know. A ha- half the league is willing to offer for KD because they've talked to everyone. They have a good grasp, especially after summer league, when you're seeing all these people in person. Uh, teams are always conversing, and, and they know what's out there and what offers are on the table for KD. Um, but yeah, that's where it's tough whenever you're Vegas because this is a situation that has been changing all over the place. You know, we've had different front runners. We've had the possibility of staying in Brooklyn. Like it seems like every week there's a new narrative or a new front runner. So I do get it's tough for them to get these situations right. Something like the draft, I think, is easier to call because you know it's not as fluid. You know they're they're still one. It's one team making a decision. If you have good intel in that situation, then you're pretty much set. When it's so many different teams and factors and you know players that could be on the move, I think that's where it's it's much tougher to kind of nail down. A destination, so yeah, you know I, I kind of I view the odds, and i I think it's interesting, but I do always kind of take it with a grain of salt because these things can change so rapidly, and we've seen it throughout these situations this off season where you know uh the odds move pretty frequently, but I think it's pretty interesting, and I do want to get back to some of these odds that are out now, looking back at those championship odds for next season. We talked about some of the front runners, I think they make sense. Uh, I think the Clippers are very interesting because no one's... I think they deserve more attention than they're getting. Just because Kawhi's going to be back. Paul George is going to be healthy. You add John Wall. They have a crazy core. So much depth. So many wings. I I like this team a lot. But when you look at just the odds overall, what stands out to you as far as uh, Dark Horses? Are there any teams lower that you're interested in placing a bet on?
1: Yeah. When looking through the board here, I I like... A lot of the placements, I think Vegas is spot on a lot of them. I think the Suns is a fair spot at plus each 50, but I think you're getting really great value there because I think the Suns, anyways, if they run it back without Kevin Durant, or even if they include Kevin Durant, they're going to be at a way different number at that point. They should be a really good team anyways next year. But when you dive deeper into the board, maybe passing the 1,000 odds, really two stand out to me. They're both in the Western Conference. And one might shock you here, but one of them is going to be one of their division rivals here, Alex. It's going to be the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. At plus 1,800. That's the one that instantly stood out to me. Nikola Jokic could be a three-time MVP award winner back-to-back-to-back seasons with a fully healthy roster around him. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., if, he, if his back cooperates, you'd really make an underrated move, in my opinion. you bring Catavius Caldwell-Pope on board. You have a really good drafts. So you added a couple of breed shooters and Peyton Watson and Christian Braun. Uh, I think it's set up very well. If health cooperates here, Alex, I think Denver's going to be a top 14 in the West yet again. Nikola Jokic having their wonderful season. I need Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. Or if it's not one of those guys, I think Denver's been one of those teams for ages now that they had the assets whenever the next disgruntled star comes available, that they could be a team to watch out for down the line could compare a start the Nicole Jokic. So either way, I love this Denver team. If fully healthy with Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray, I love them at plus 1,800. And then my other one I'm going to throw out to you is another Western Conference team. And it's the Minnesota Timberwolves at plus 3,000. I know people are going to be saying, what are you thinking of Because they haven't made the playoffs in so long, but I absolutely love what they did this offseason. How did Rudy Gobert? I think it's getting slept on. How how well he fits? I think it's a unique fit for sure with Karl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. But I'm very bullish on that fit long term. I don't know about you outs, but I think that Towns is naturally more of a power forward. It'll be a test in space on defense, but I think it's a really a big bet on Anthony Edwards to be a superstar player in the NBA with just adding a huge rip protector, Rudy Gobert take pressure off of him. Have Carl Anthony Towns really focus on being a scorer. But this is all about Anthony Edwards, in my opinion. He was a 26-point per game scorer in the playoffs last year. He should be a 25-point per game scorer, take that superstar jump next year. I think Minnesota is betting on that too. And I think Minnesota is going to be a 50-plus point team this year. So they're my big dark horse this year. I wrote a story on uh earlier this month about them, as far as their offices goes with Rudy Gobert and that trade. I absolutely love what they did, Alex.
0: Yeah, we've uh, debated on our basketball news slack quite a bit about this team because there's some people that feel like they're, you know, being overrated and that they overpaid for Gobert. And look, there's no question they gave up a ton of picks and that was a a huge package for Gobert. But I think he's going to do really, really well there. You know, I think uh, he fits really well with what they're building and and they have a really intriguing core. So I agree with you. I think they're going to be a really good team this season. I'm excited to watch what they can build. I think they're going to win 50 games as well. Uh, and, and I'm curious to see how he fits with these pieces. And, and I, I think things have just gotten so bad in Utah. Uh, you could tell just he wasn't getting the ball. There was, you know, a ton of tension, it seemed like. Uh, I, I think it's, it's really good for him to have this fresh start. And I mean, he's one of the best defenders in recent NBA history. So I'm excited to see what he can do for them on that end. And then, yeah, I mean, Anthony Edwards is just so good already. I mean, I'm excited to see what he looks like as he continues to develop and reaches his prime because he's already a fantastic player. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a good call. And Denver, I mean, they are... are, It it blows my mind that they're this low, actually. Like, putting them below the Lakers is kind of crazy to me. Just considering, you know, this is a team that last time they were at full strength and really healthy, we saw them go on a conference finals run. And they're getting back two star players, you know, key pieces. So even if they don't make a ton of moves you know, this offseason. I mean, look, I think the Bruce Brown pickup was fantastic. Maybe one of the more underrated additions of the offseason. He's going to help them on both ends. And then Cantavius Caldwell-Pope is a nice addition as well. Um, but their real huge offseason additions are Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. If you, if you want to look at it that way. Just like the Clippers' big offseason addition is really Kawhi Leonard. Like, getting these stars back healthy is the biggest thing for them. Uh, one team that jumps out to me is the Toronto Raptors at plus 4,000. If you make that bet right now, and then you know a few months from now, they trade for Kevin Durant, you're loving life. I mean, this is a really, really good core. They have a ton of talented pieces. Um, I think they've done a great job kind of building the squad out. And I mean, we saw it with with Kawhi Leonard. They traded for him. They were one piece away. They were able to go win a championship. Uh, I, I would not be surprised if, if they're the team that ends up landing Kevin Durant. I talked about it last week on this podcast with Ethan Fuller. Another one of my basketball news colleagues. Uh, we basically broke down the KD sweepstakes, and this is before Boston was mentioned. I think Boston has a a good shot to to land him. Their package is really interesting, but I was saying Toronto had the most attractive offer, and they're the one team that could end this today if they really wanted to. Just depending on what they're willing to give up. So if Masai, you know, feels like it's worth it and and makes the the KD offer or increases their offer. I would not be surprised if they could land Durant. Uh, So I really do think uh, considering they're in the mix and they seem like they're a top three, top two team in that sweepstakes, uh, it cannot hurt to place a bet on the Raptors
1: at plus 4,000. What do you think of that? That's a a really good one. And honestly, that's a good way to go about it with the current odds too, because looking at the board here on DraftKings, it kind of shows you how all over the board betters are now and how Vegas is projecting because the Nets and the Lakers, like you mentioned, plus 1,500, plus 1,600. Are higher than teams like the Mavericks and the Nuggets and the Grizzlies, which I think is a slap in the face, classically, to make the Memphis Grizzlies to be lower than the Lakers and the Nets at this point, because they are a really good team at plus 2,000. That could be a good value for you as well. But like you mentioned, Toronto at plus 4,000, that's a really good, really good dart throw, in my opinion. They showed last year, I think they're a top three team in the East when fully healthy. They really started to find a groove last year when everyone was in the court together, second half of the season. If you had Kevin Durant there, they're going to skyrocket well into the hundreds, I would say at least. Above plus one thousand, probably be a top five odd team if they were to acquire Kevin Durant. So that's a really good one if you wanted to like hedge the market a little bit on Kevin Durant. And if we're gonna play a game real quick on that as well. I think one team that's really interesting to watch out for that could trump an offer from Boston is the New Orleans Pelicans at plus thirty five hundred. Brandon Ingram, they have all these picks in the future. What's your opinion about that? Because they're kind of the team lurking to me where if Willie Green and David Griffin could get Kevin Kevin Durant to on a Zoom call or in a room and convince him to play with Zion Williamson, CJ McCollum, you probably trade Brandon Ingram in that deal, but selling him on Zion long-term in New Orleans for the next four years, Alex, what's your opinion of that? Because they're the one team to me that kind of feels like if they do fire Kevin Durant, that could be like in a Suns-esque situation.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. I think whenever uh, KD requested his trade, we were on Twitter spaces kind of breaking down different destinations that make sense. And, and they came up just because they have talent. They've been aggressive. We saw the CJ trade uh at last year's trade deadline so they they want to they want to win um and yeah I mean you're talking about a core of Kevin Durant it let's say they they built the package around Brandon Ingram picks i mean maybe you'd have to include uh Herb Jones uh I'm not I'm not sure I'm just trying to spitball here but you know I I think they have a really nice team let's say that those are two of the main guys going out and then there's first round picks involved you know you're talking about CJ Zion Williamson Jonas Valančiūnas DeMonte Graham, uh, Larry Nance Jr., Dyson Daniels—like, this is a really exciting team that is very, very talented. So, yeah, I like that call too. It's kind of the same idea. Like, if you if you feel like, hey, Phoenix is out because of the whole DeAndre Ayton situation, uh, and you're not confident that Miami, uh, you know, has enough to get this thing done, maybe you think Boston, and Toronto aren't going to budge with Jalen Brown and Scotty Barnes. Okay, let me throw some money on New Orleans just in case they they decide to to get involved in the sweepstakes. Uh, yeah, I think that makes sense. Kind of the same idea as Toronto. Uh, I mean, it
1: can't hurt. Alex, let me throw something at you real quick on that because this is something me and you have discussed off the air before about the Suns and kind of looking at the Kevin Durant odds. But I wanted to ask you this because with the DeAndre situation, how big of a domino that was for the Kevin Durant situation? Because from the very beginning, we've known from Sean Sharani and Adrian Wojnarowski that Kevin Durant's preferred destination was the Phoenix Suns. It was above the Miami He was above everyone else on top his preferred destinations list. And with Aiden getting that offer sheet from Indiana, then matching, now they're going into the luxury tax. He's off the board for any potential sign and trade possibilities to improve their their chance to get Kevin Durant. I think unless Kevin Durant truly forces his way to the Phoenix Suns at this point, unless he goes to Nets ownership and says, I will not play for anyone else except the Phoenix Suns. Do not accept any other offers. I will wait until you're your value for me drops and forced my way to Phoenix. I don't see how the Suns can get Kevin Durant. I think Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, and all their draft picks is enough compared to like a Jalen Brown or other teams. What's your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It was whenever the KD stuff first broke, it seemed like, okay, Phoenix is kind of in the driver's seat. We all talked about they could offer DeAndre and Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson picks. When it came out that the Nets weren't interested in DeAndre, Ayton, and then we saw a number of teams around the league kind of moved away from Aiton. uh Obviously, you end up getting the offer sheet from Indiana. But when there were the reports that Brooklyn wasn't interested, it's like, okay, well, can they pivot? Can they do a sign-in trade? You know, can they get something back for Aiton that they could then flip to Brooklyn? Like, I think uh, there was... It seemed like in the beginning that Phoenix had the best offer. But now, with where things are, Aiton off the table, and it's just Bridges and Cam Johnson, I, I think Boston, Toronto, I think both of those teams... And then, like we just mentioned, if New Orleans wanted to get involved, I think all three of those teams have a better offer... Than the Suns do, so yeah. I mean, I know Shams had reported that uh, they're all but out of this race, basically. That once the Aiton thing happened, uh, I think the Aiton thing was the first blow. And it's like, oh man, now they can't move eight until January. So good luck getting KD. It's going to be really tough. Then when Jalen Brown is coming out as a centerpiece of a possible trade offer, it's like, oh, okay, if Jalen Brown is on the table, then that blows Phoenix's offer out of the water. So the combination of events made me just made me kind of think, okay, the Suns aren't. Uh, really in this anymore? I think it would take something like Boston pulling their offer, Toronto not being willing to budge on trading Siakam, Barn, a number of different players. Uh, they don't. They don't. Almost need these teams that are being discussed at the top of the sweepstakes to either pull out or or lower their offer in order for their offer to rise to the top again. That's how I kind of view it. Do you Do you agree? Because I mean, and look, we can talk about the Suns. Out. I'm curious to get your thoughts on just the Suns' current roster and kind of how this offseason was handled and, and where they currently stand. But do you agree, just talking about their their current status in this sweepstakes, do you think they're out of it too?
1: Yeah, I, I feel like, honestly, it's a very, very slim chance. And it really is in the hands of Kevin Durant, if I'm being quite frank with you. Because, like I mentioned, I, I don't see how there's any way... I don't think Kevin Durant is like this. He hasn't proven this. Maybe, right. maybe this is a different tone than he takes with this aggressive stance that he wants to do, but... I'd be stunned by that, but unless he truly puts his like his feet down and says I'm not playing for any other team in the NBA except the Phoenix Suns, I don't see how in the world they can beat that offer. I know they're trying to wait out wait out everyone right now, like everyone else is, to hopefully see the next price drop. But seeing how the Nets leaked out that offer, I have to. I think it's a very good guess. That was Brooklyn side of things that that leaked out, and I don't see how it'd be from Boston side with Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a pick coming out. I think that's also from the net side. I think he's trying to drive the price a little bit for everyone else saying, if Jalen Brown's on the table, if you're the Suns' position, we're kind of we're kind of screwed here. I mean, if we're, I don't see how in the world he does that unless he truly pulls out a trump card saying, I'm not playing any, anywhere else to Phoenix. i put it around 10, 15% of most right now.
0: Yeah, I feel like Durant's not going to do that. And it'd be one thing if he was a free agent after this year, because then he could say, look, I'm not going to resign uh, with any team. And we, we've seen that in the past with, Anthony Davis and, uh, you know, Dwight Howard. Like that's that's a move that we've seen stars use whenever they're approaching free agency. But for him to have four years left on his contract, that's where, you know, if you're a team that's in the mix, you can basically say, okay, well, we can trade him and try to... I, I, it would take him really like saying, I'm not reporting, you can find me all you want. And again, that's just not... It doesn't seem like that's something that Kevin Durant would do. And I think that's why the Nets are kind of approaching this. We've seen a number of reports saying that they're confused why he demanded a trade you know, that they don't really have a reason from him yet, that they feel like they can salvage the relationship. I, I think that's why Brooklyn is thinking, let's just keep him and Kyrie Irving for now. Maybe start the season with them. They've brought back a lot of their veterans. They added TJ Warren. They might be thinking, hey, let's let's bring them all together again and see if we can rattle off an impressive start to the season. Maybe Durant changes his mind. Maybe, you know, Kyrie's now a report. I mean, not saying, but Kyrie has leaked to reporters that he never demanded a trade and, and he wants to stay in Brooklyn. You know, that's been out there. So I could see them just, I don't, I don't think Durant would do that. I don't think he'd put his foot down. And I could see the Nets basically saying, look, KD's not coming at us to being aggressive. So maybe we can just try to salvage this relationship, keep him here, at least the start of the season. And if it doesn't work out and, you know, the team is struggling or, or he doubles down on his trade request, then you end up moving closer to deadline. But I kind of get the sense, you know, based on executives I've talked to, who have said that that how the Nets are kind of handling these negotiations, it seems like they're planning to keep him into the season. It seems, you know, I've seen this in Orlando play out whenever they were having the whole Dwight Howard situation. The Orlando front office would say that when Dwight was around the team, you know, during the season, he was happy, getting along with the team. He wanted to be there. Every offseason is when his camp and people would be in his ear saying, Hey, you need to go to a big market. You can't win a championship in Orlando. His agent, people like that, would be in his ear telling him he needs to request a trade, and he'd listen to them. And then usually that would go away during the season whenever he's you know back in Orlando and all that. So I've seen this kind of thing play out before. I think Brooklyn may be thinking, "Hey, if we get him into our culture, you know, show him we have a talented team, win some games, maybe things change." So yeah, I I think uh, I I think that's why they're maybe stalling a bit too. In addition to hoping the offers get better, I I think there's some sense of can we salvage this? But. I just can't see him putting his foot down like that and saying, I need to
1: go to Phoenix, especially with four years left on his contract. Yeah, this is such a delicate dance too, to be quite honest with you, Alex, because this is something that we've also discussed on our Slack channel too. Like if the Nets, I don't blame it all holding out for a historic draft price because we just saw Rudy Gobert go for technically five first draft picks. So I don't blame it all for winning out for a historic price for Kevin Durant there. But, if they do run it back and let's say Kevin Durant buys in for a year, Kyrie Irving buys in for a year and they go on and make the Eastern Conference finals, but they don't go to the finals. They don't win a title. Are we back in the same spot again next year where Kyrie Irving now instead is just walking for free to LA and then Kevin Durant's a year older and the value is less for him? That's a something I've been thinking about because I think that's what teams, opposing teams are offering or betting on Brooklyn to do here is kind of... Wait them out and see if they eventually press because I think me and you are both in agreement here that Kevin Durant is not going to pull some sort of Judy Butler type of card and be really aggressive for a stance. but I mean if, if this drags out into the season at the next decide to run it back here, we could be looking at them saying, hey, you had a good season, but then this time 12 months from now, it's both could be off the team.
0: Yeah, and it's risky if they if they wait this thing out because you're right, they could lose Kyrie for nothing in free agency. Durant will be another year older. If they're playing him, you risk him getting injured and then you, you could kill his, his stock. So yeah, it is somewhat risky uh, unless they're thinking like, look, we can, again, salvage this and, and keep him long-term. Or at the very least, they may be thinking, hey, we have a team that we feel like can compete for a championship. If Kyrie's here, if Ben Simmons is healthy, uh, if the core is bad, you know, everyone's kind of clicking. So they might think like, hey, this could be a last-dance type year where Kyle kind of we saw last year in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Like, look, give us one year, try to win a championship. Uh, That would be huge. You know, even a deep playoff run would be huge for this franchise. And then we'll reassess in the offseason, you know, Irving maybe walks, KD gets traded then. Uh, I don't know what they're thinking. There's also been some reports from different Nets beat writers that things were so rough last year with KD and Kyrie and and just the way things were kind of handled behind the scenes in the organization that they don't want anything like that again this year. And, And they don't want Kyrie around because things were not good behind the scenes. So, there have been a lot of different reports, you know, <laughs> and look, Brooklyn could be putting it out there that they want to run it back and bring these guys into, in, into camp and play them in, during the season just for leverage. I mean, we don't know. that. That's the stance they're taking right now. And that's what they're telling teams. But who knows? That could be all for leverage, too. It could be a total smokescreen. We really don't know. So this situation is so interesting to me. I'm curious now, we we talked a little bit about the Suns and kind of their, their place in this whole KD sweepstakes. But what are your thoughts on on the Suns offseason? Because I've seen some Suns fans that are still holding out hope for KD. You know, they're crossing their fingers and thinking like, hey, this, st- this still could be a great offseason. Some Phoenix fans seem really frustrated with some of the moves uh, that have happened, some of the you know, way that the DeAndre Ayton situation was handled, where before free agency starts, they're leaking stuff about his value and uh, kind of hurting their own assets a little bit. What are your thoughts on kind of what the Suns have done this offseason
1: and where the roster currently stands? Yeah, they're in a really tough spot. I don't blame them one bit for putting themselves in this spot because I'd be if I was in the GM chair like James Jones, I'd be doing the same thing. If Kevin Durant wants my team, I'm going to be waiting as long as possible until it's not off the table. And I don't think it's going to be off the table for a very long time here. So I think that's why the Suns have been so kind of stagnant this offseason outside the DeAndre move. And, I think they were just kind of betting on, to be quite honest, the team out there like Indiana to offer DeAndre and axe. They didn't think that was going to happen. And then they were kind of forced into that spot. It was just a, a really interesting way the Suns went about it. I don't agree with it, but they saved a lot of money long-term. They got the extra year off that contract as well. So I think long-term it plays out, but I don't know if hurting the relationship, maybe long-term that might've been something that plays out here with DeAndre because we've seen it before with Gordon Hayward in Utah and restricted free agency he got an offer sheet somewhere. And then eventually left. So I don't know if there's mending behind the scenes that needs to happen there or not. But when you, when you see this entire roster now with Eaton back on board, you hopefully have you're betting on a lot of guys that I think are they've shown real value in a huge setting for the Suns. But they're not guys that I would be on my hands and knees praying that they're really key contributors next year. Like a Dario Saric, they're he's currently their starting center next year if he's fully healthy from his ACL or excuse me his backup center with DeAndre in back. He'd be the backup. But he played such a valuable role for them a a couple years ago. But with this ACL injury, he might not be the same player. Landry Shamit is a key player he's got to rely on as well. He's on a couple-year-long contract. But really, my main thing is with the Suns is you have a very good rotation already with running it back. You have Aiden as a starter. You have the wings with Crowder, Johnson, Bridges. You have one of the best backcourts in the NBA and Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Your bench is, I would say, top five, top six in the NBA when it's fully cooperating. They can be inconsistent at points with guys that campaign. But this is a 50-win team without Kevin Durant on it, in my opinion. So uh, even if they run it back, I think the main thing with them is that I think they might have missed their window, which is why think they should be a little bit more desperate to go out and get a Kevin Durant here because Chris Paul's going to be 38 years old next summer. Devin Booker's not entering the prime of his career. DeAndre is on a max contract. You, you're kind of in a spot here where your window's next couple of years and now with Denver getting healthy with the Lakers being a wild card out there with the Mavericks getting better and beating in the playoffs last year especially too the Grizzlies are getting better the Pelicans are getting better I feel like their window was the last two years and they might have just missed out on it to the point where with everyone getting healthy and getting better in the West these young cores Alex and instead if Kevin Durant's not on this team I I, I kind of view him more so as like a 4 5 six seed than a 1-2 or two seed more nowadays This podcast is brought to you by Branded Bills,
0: the best place online for premium headwear and apparel. Branded Bills has hundreds of designs available, including their popular state collection where you can show your pride with hats, shirts, hoodies, and more for all 50 states. Are you a company looking to brand your business? Branded Bills also offers custom apparel options that can meet your brand standards with fast turnaround and shipping. To shop or learn more, visit brandedbills.com today. That's brandedbills.com. Yeah, I mean, this team won sixty-four games last year, super talented. Uh, but you make an interesting point about them missing their window because, you know, obviously what happened in the playoffs was crazy to watch. But yeah, I mean, Chris Paul is another year older. Uh, you know, the DeAndre Ayton situation is that an issue? Because we've heard in the past Devin Booker and Chris Paul talk about having to motivate him and kind of stay on him to to have, you know, to basically play hard and, and do all these things they need to do. Who knows how this whole offseason, everything that's kind of went down affects that relationship and, you know, everything there. And then, yeah, I mean, you lose JaVale McGee, uh, which, I mean, people might laugh and say, okay, that's not a big deal, but he was really, really good for them last season. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I do wonder, and then you make a great point about the the Clippers getting healthy. The Lakers, if they add Kyrie Irving or, or they're able to improve, they should be uh, better. We've seen Sacramento make some moves. Minnesota has been aggressive. Denver gets back Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Um, we've seen a lot of teams go out there and be really aggressive. So the Western Conference, you can argue, is going to be you know more loaded than in recent years. So uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we know Suns fans are, are frustrated about what happened last year. But when you look at just how much harder the road gets this year, that loss, they're probably gonna be kicking themselves even more just because it's going to be really, really tough to repeat what they did uh, as far as you know the number of games they won, getting the number one seed. Um, you know that's where Golden State. We just talked about it. The odds for next year, Golden State and uh, LA are both above them, so it's going to be difficult for them. Uh, I'm curious to see what ends up happening with this KD thing. Look, if they end up landing KD, then all the criticism or question marks about uh, what, you know, what was James Jones thinking, da da da, that's going to go away because you landed Kevin Durant and put him alongside a stacked core. So I mean, this could also work out for them. But we talked about the podcast a few weeks ago uh, before the DeAndre Aiden thing kind of got settled. They're playing a dangerous game, kind of putting everything in the KD basket. So we'll see if that ends up paying off. Uh, I, I do want to get your thoughts on the MVP odds. I know we've kind of bounced around here, but uh, you've got Luka Doncic uh, is the front runner, plus 450. Joel Embiid, plus 650. Giannis Antetokounmpo, plus 700. Kevin Durant, plus 1,200. Uh, and then Jason Tatum, John ja Morant, and Nikola Jokic are also at plus 1,200. So those are your top uh, your top candidates here. When you look at these MVP odds, uh, especially the top
1: of the board, we'll get to some dark horses here in a second. Uh, what jumps out at you? Yeah, I mean, to me, it was it was the exact case last year, which is not surprising that Vegas is back on this trend again. But Luka Doncic entered last season as the MVP favorite pretty heavily, and now it is again this year. But this time around, I don't know if you've seen the pictures. You've probably seen all the highlights with Slovenia, Alex. But Luka looks really fit compared to like the last couple of seasons here. I think he's taking this offseason more seriously. I think that playoff loss against Golden State and the Western Conference Finals really kind of hit a nerve with Luca. He's, he's a, a guy that is obsessed with winning. I think this could be the offseason here where it probably clicks for him. So I would not be stunned at all if the favorite here in Luca wins it. He, I could see like a 30-plus point season for him. Obviously, it's a monster numbers and rebounding and assists as well. So I think Luca is a fair number one here. And then another one on the top of the board here that I think is a really good one And this might be a cop out answer. We just talked about for a little bit here, but I think it all depends on what happens with Kevin Durant. If he ends up with the Phoenix Suns, for example, at plus twelve hundred, I would hit that right now because it'll be the number one option in Phoenix on a really good team. The narrative would be right there with Kevin Durant as well. That's one thing too, Alex. I don't think a lot of like the general fans look at with MVP races, but like the narrative around you, like what you're doing that season, like how you're helping your team, how like refactor and everything. Those kind of things that we focus on on the daily basis that maybe the general fan doesn't like those things actually matter a lot compared to the actual raw statistical numbers too. Because we've seen like a couple of races in the past where those narratives really do help a player.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah, the narratives, uh, fair or not, (laughs) they definitely factor in. And we've seen, you know, do you have kind of a nice little story that you can tell about your season? And um, we've seen also, there have been some things that voters don't like. Like if you have a superstar teammate, which is one thing that could potentially hurt Kevin Durant, if you were to go to Phoenix, just kind of playing with a Devin Booker We've seen it happen in Golden State, in Miami, when guys, you know, top players kind of team up, uh, voters sometimes are like, okay, well, that kind of, you guys cancel each other out. We're not going to give you guys, you know, either of you guys really uh, a chance at this. So, you know, they, they tend to like a, a superstar player that kind of puts a team on on their, on their his own back and uh, carries them. So I, I don't know. It's interesting to kind of see. But then again, you have someone like Giannis, you know, even though he had like a Chris Middleton, uh, that wasn't really a knock against him. It really depends on what kind of star player you have next to you. Is it a superstar player that is kind of viewed as an equal? Because I think that tends to rule you out of the discussion. If it's, you know, a quote-unquote lesser star or you're still kind of seen as carrying the team, voters tend to like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Also, I'd imagine Jokic here at uh, plus 1,200. There's some thought of voter fatigue and just um, Jokic always seems to be disrespected. Like, what does this guy have to do to end up in the top three, top four of these MVP odds, it just—it's funny to me that you know basically every year, even after being you know the back-to-back MVP, he kind of continues to show up lower here. Um, but no, these odds look right to me. I, I think it, they make a lot of sense. Uh, when you kind of go further down the board, who are some names that jump out at you? I mean, I look at Kawhi Leonard plus three thousand. You know, I don't think he's ever going to win MVP just because load management and you know they're going to especially coming back from major injury they're going to ease him in uh and you know not rush him be cautious with him so we've seen throughout nba history especially recent nba history you know they voters want players that play a lot of games they don't want to reward guys that are playing you know 50 60 games so that's tough zion williamson's coming off a major injury um i'm sure they're going to be cautious with him too. Trying to look here, some other names. Anthony Davis, probably the same thing. It's, you know, hopefully he's healthy and can play a ton of games, but uh doesn't seem super likely. Who were some, uh, you know, guys that jump out
1: at you? And just what are your thoughts on their odds? Yeah, a couple of names down the board here that I like. And the first one stands up to me is no Phoenix bias here, but this is really based off of Kevin Durant. If you weren't to come to the Suns, I, I like Devin Booker at plus 2,500 because. If the Suns, again, are a top team in the NBA next year, like a 60-win team, and Devin Booker plays a big part of that, the narrative got to the point last year, Alex, where he actually got a lot of late buzz the last couple months of the season. He closed in on Joel and beat Nicole Jokic to be third in the MVP voting. So if the Suns have another great year, this is kind of their one-year window now with Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson and Dario, all these guys on expiring contracts, and can be a restricted free agent. This is kind of their window now for one last year, if they don't bring Kevin Durant aboard, so the narrative's kind of there with Ke- with Devin Booker there at plus twenty five hundred. So that's one that I really like. And then going down the board a little further here, I-, I think one that really makes a lot of sense to me that I think we're kind of sleeping on them it- is Jimmy Butler with the Miami Heat at plus five thousand. Just because I know Jimmy Butler has put up a lot of monster scoring numbers, but the narrative is there with him where Miami, if they're good again next year, and they can really be all these really good teams in the Eastern Conference, and he plays a big part of that. I think that's a really good dart throw there, plus 5,000 for Jay Butler, the Miami Heat.
0: No, that makes sense. I like that. Um, it's interesting. I'm looking at like most improved player and some of these other odds that are out there. Most improved is so hard to predict going into a season. Like I'm looking at now, Anthony Edwards is the front runner, plus 1,000. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, plus 1,200. Jalen Brunson, plus 1,600. Zion Williamson, plus 1,800. Like it's all, it's all basically young stars that, you know, they're trying to project. Are they going to be able to take the next step? And make that huge leap. So I don't know. I I think uh, it's almost impossible to nail that
1: going into a season. I think it's pretty tough. I think really a a good way to go about this with like a formula of hives, thought about these awards with most improved player. It's about like the kind numbers for sure. But I think it's also like a narrative based angle with this is like you have really good season and you improve your numbers across the board, but your team is also winning games. Like Keldon Johnson stands out to me as a guy that could be a most improved player, but he's not going to win it because the Spurs are going to be really bad next year. Like that, that's a good, like you get average 25 points per game next year on the tanking Spurs. They won't really be a top competitor in my opinion because they're not going to be winning games. So the one that stands out to me instantly, Alex, at the top of the board there, it's a cop-out answer maybe, but Anthony Edwards, that we talked about earlier, 50 plus win team, could be a 25 plus point per game score, a first time all-star. Uh, I think he checks all the boxes there. Someone that jumps out at me and tell me if I'm crazy uh, is James
0: Wiseman, because the bar is so low for him. So I feel like if he just, you know, has a good, we've seen when he's played, he's been pretty good. He's been talented. You know, if he comes out and, and has a decent season uh, or a strong season, let's say, you know, could, could he be rewarded? He's plus 4,000. I, I guess I have a hard time when I look at like the Anthony Edwards, uh, Zion Williamson, Cade Cunningham, like, yeah, they're all going to take the next step. and And, you know, someone like Edwards, we've already seen him dominate. Cade Cunningham was the number one pick and a super talented player. Like, I, I it's tough for me looking at those guys because uh, yep. even if they're going to take a step forward, but, like, that's expected from them. I think we've seen, and sometimes those guys win the award, but when I'm looking at, like, the the lesser type of guys or um guys that may come out of nowhere, I think those guys tend to have a better case. It, it's just tough because the voters kind of go back and forth. We've seen both kind of players win in, in recent years. So... Yeah, I think it's just funny to me trying to bet on most improved player because it's so tough to be able to to predict. Um, you know, I think that's a really tough one. Um, let's see. Any other odds here? The year, sixth man of the year. Uh, let's look at rookie of the year. Then we kind of move on. Uh, Paolo Bencaro, plus 320. You got Chet Holmgren at plus 350. Jaden Ivey, plus 600. Keegan Murray, plus 700. Jabari Smith Jr., plus 700. Uh, you know, Paolo's the favorite. I think the thought is he's going to put up big numbers in Orlando, have the ball in his hands, create for himself and others. I think Jaden Ivey and Keegan Murray are interesting um, just because, again, they're going to have the ball in their hands. They can put up numbers. I think Keegan might have a, he might be NBA ready, but I'm not sure if he'll be able to put up the right numbers to win this award uh, alongside Sabonis and Fox there. Just because we've seen, like, you don't really need to win a ton of games to win rookie of the year. It's more so about the numbers you're putting up. Now, winning games helps, though, you know, obviously, but we've seen if there's a guy that's putting up, you know, significantly better numbers than the rest of the class, you're going to have an edge there. So that's where I think someone like Paolo uh, or even like a Jabari Smith Jr. is interesting. If they fill the stat sheet, even if their teams are near the bottom of the standings, which, you know, Orlando could be sneaky this year. They could, they're a nice little young core. They could actually surprise some people. So, I mean, I I think it's, it's not really shocking to say that I like Paolo since he's the front runner, but... I think Paolo's interesting and then just any of these guys that are like studs on a young, uh, bad team <laughs> because they can put up crazy numbers. I think they're going to have an easier time than a Jaden Ibe or Keegan
1: Murray. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the top two on the board here, Paolo, Banchero 320, Chet Holmgren, plus 350 on DraftKings. I think those two are that runaway favorites, in my opinion, just because I think Paolo could be an instant 20 plus point per game score. And I think the Thunder, they could finally be a team this year where Chet plays a big part in them actually be competitive most nights. And that could really play a big role here for a rookie of the year type of award. I could see Chet putting up like 14, 15 points per game, seven, eight rebounds, two blocks per game, Uh, like in all around numbers to where Chet and the Thunder improved to the point where it's hard to deny that he played a big part in that kind of comeback for OKC. So I kind of like Chet at plus 350, kind of a throw at the dartboard here, but with Paula plus at 320, the accounting numbers for him would be off the charts this year. I wouldn't be shocked by that 20 plus point per game score uh, from day one, I think is a plausible reality for him in Orlando. But I think you're going to know where I'm going to go with my sleeper pick here. Uh, Alex, it's going to be Benedict Mathurin at plus 1000 because he was actually quietly under the radar in summer league this year. I know you're there in Vegas uh covering the event for us, but he actually averaged the most points per minute of any summer league player, 19 points and only 19 minutes per game for Indiana was an effortless score on all three levels of the court, great three point shooter, improving defender, with a, a guy like Tyrese Hallibur, who is a willing facilitator, he, he would rather defer than he has to be aggressive. I think there's a real chance, Alex, that Bennett and Mathur could surprise people next year to be the number one option for Indiana. This is four.
0: Yeah, I like that pick. I like uh, you know the plus one thousand odds too. I think that that's interesting. Uh, and yeah, I mean, are again, they kind of fit that description of young team. The opportunities there uh, that's very interesting. I like that. Thanks to Urobae for sponsoring this episode. Yerbe is a naturally caffeinated energy drink that's made exclusively with recognizable plant-based ingredients. There's no sugar, calories, or sucralose, so you can feel great about what you're drinking. Get the energy you need without the jitters or crash. Check out yerbe.com for 10% off. That's yerbe.com for 10% off. All right, I do have one last question for you, and then we're going to wrap this up. Uh, it's it's kind of on the betting side of things, but it's more generic, more general question. Uh, we've seen in football, like in the NFL, uh, Fantasy sports, DFS, betting, I mean, it's taken the sport to crazy levels. Like, fantasy football is just, it's gotten crazy. I mean, it's a huge industry. Fantasy basketball hasn't really been able to get that same kind of attention. I mean, there's people that play it, and I know DFS is getting more popular, fantasy hoops are getting more popular, but it's not anywhere close to football in terms of popularity. And I think you can say the same for, like, betting. I mean, we've seen, obviously, we've seen March Madness and and things like that have I've always been crazy when it comes to betting. It's like the Super Bowl of basketball. But what do you think basketball can do, or is it even possible to somehow get basketball on the same level as the NFL when it comes to fantasy sports betting, that kind of stuff? I mean, obviously, it's tougher with the eighty-two game schedule and just kind of how the league works. But what are some things? Uh, you know, why do you think we it's it's such a big gap between
1: the two sports? I just think honestly, just because. The revenue machine that is the NFL. Like the NBA is getting there. I'm not denying that at all. They're closing in on the NFL little by little. But just the revenue machine that is the National Football League is just so hard to compete with. Just that three months every Sunday, you just fire up TV and watch football. Like that, that's hard to compete with most times, especially on the holidays. But with the NBA, like I've noticed over the last year, especially since doing the podcast, nothing but bets, Alex, that really NBA in the betting world has kind of taken off over the last 18 months. And kind of seeing just how like even Summer League, you see all these props on the board for Summer League, all these people talking about betting on Summer League, like all these future bets as well throughout the year. Like, And especially now, like the integration that some teams are doing. Like we actually wrote a story on basketballnews.com about the Phoenix Suns and how they've taken a the step of being an all-around elite organization. And their partnership with Dan Duel was one of the more interesting things that Robert Sarver, the owner, and Jason Brown, the president, talked to me about is that they're one of the first teams in the NBA that kind of immersed themselves and partnered with a sports betting team partner in FanDuel. and fan duel and actually have a sports betting or betting sports book in the arena which you can be operated and used you can walk in anytime you can watch the game there if you want to i believe a lot of other teams done this recently i think the knicks are building one as well the wizards have one in dc the bulls are building one in chicago like we're getting there alex i think we're getting to the point where the nba realizes how much betting how important that is to revenue and mainstream and how it actually is kind of like a a new angle to the media nowadays. Like it's, I I think it's personally interesting to look at the odds before games, like seeing like how exactly these teams match up and why exactly is it, are the Grizzlies, for example, a five point favorite over the Pacers tonight? Like diving into those numbers from each side. Like I think fans are realizing just like it used to be taboo. Like now it's now a thing where it's probably going to be legalized around the United States in the next 10, 15 years from every single state. So it just kind of an incredible turn over the last decade or two, Alex, where sports betting was viewed so negatively, but now it's kind of like becoming a vital resource to guys like us nowadays.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's changed. I remember when I started out, you know, in, in media, um, they used to have a rule that if your website ran any kind of gambling ads uh, or fantasy sports ads, uh, you would lose your credential. Like they would know our credential, your company. So we were like, okay, no gambling ads on the site. We can't take that risk. We... We need the NBA to, to give us the access. So, you know, to go from that early in my career to where it's at now, the stigma's gone. You know, now the league and teams are partnering with different companies and sportsbooks and all that. It, it's wild to see, but I, I think it's great for the NBA, though. I think it leads to a lot of new fans. And um, I think uh, with the NFL, it's always so tough to compete with because every Sunday, it's such a big event. Like, especially, you know, in certain states, certain cities, you know, everyone comes together and watches their team. It's all on one day of the week. It kind of works perfectly with fantasy sports, where you have the whole week to kind of make roster decisions and, you know, a lot of time to set your lineup. And the NBA, it's tougher because each night there's a bunch of different games. Uh, You know, you have to set your lineup daily. That's where I think the thing that's helped the NBA so much, in my opinion, is daily fantasy sports. You're seeing it pop up. There's a bunch of these companies that pop up now and and they all kind of have their own little, you know, way of doing things. But I think that's helping the NBA quite a bit too, because You don't have to try to set a team every single day and, you know, keep up over the course of a season. You can log in at 5 p.m. Eastern time, a few hours before the game starts, you know, create a lineup and then make that night's games more interesting. So I think DFS has helped a lot. And then, yeah, I'm definitely seeing more and more, you know, betting talk, odds, things like that popping up, you know, not only in terms of games and and in midseason, but, you know, even in the off-season, like the Palo thing was a huge story whenever Vegas had that right or... You know, you do a great job of kind of sharing the different odds and the changes in the odds whenever, you know, we're talking about different uh, transactional type things or rumors. So, yeah, it's definitely becoming more prevalent, I think. Uh, And I want to say you do a great job on your podcast, Nothing But Bets, breaking down, you know, all the different odds, futures uh, odds and and different bets that are interesting and things like that. So uh, I'm definitely excited to see kind of where it's headed. Uh, The NFL is obviously a juggernaut. But the NBA seems like it's gaining steam. I'm not sure if it's ever going to catch the NFL, but it is exciting to
1: see some of that momentum. Oh, for sure. I think it's just kind of cool to see, like you mentioned, just the growing effort of like the sports gambling industry kind of integrating into our world. It's just kind of cool to see like, how it's not really viewed in a negative light anymore. It's kind of viewed more so as like a tool than anything else. For sure. Well, Evan, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, tell everyone where they can find your work. Yeah, you guys can go ahead go to basketballnews.com. You can go to follow, subscribe to the of the Bets podcast for you guys a couple times per week throughout the offseason, every single day during the NBA season, to give you guys my picks against the spread and my regular picks if you want to do that as well. But you can go to follow me on Twitter too at East at ESID But you guys can always go follow my work, Alex's work, everyone else's work over at thegreatbasketballnews.com.
0: Yes, definitely check out basketballnews.com. Even this time of year, we have. A bunch of articles going up. We got new podcasts, new videos. Check out our YouTube channel. I know we had a few different videos go up on our YouTube channel today. We're talking about all the different off-season moves. We're starting to preview next season. Anytime there's any kind of breaking news or rumors, we're on top of that as well. So definitely check out basketballnews.com. If you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. And until next time, thanks for tuning in.